Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. Giving Him praise and honor and glory, He's worthy of it. Uh, that song, there's a line in there, I'm going to build, build my life on Jesus, build my life on the rock, is the theme. I've heard that several times in, in the service today. Uh, I'm building my life on His truth, His, his authority, His power. Uh, today we start a sermon series uh, where it's going to be tested. It's, uh, it's something, an arena that we might not want to talk about, might not even want to go there, but to talk about sexuality and to talk about sex. Am I building my life on Jesus Christ in all ways? Am I living out my life uh, according to His power and His authority? He's, as we just, we just read, from ever, everlasting to everlasting, He is God. He's the one we should be listening to. and He's the one we should be following. He's the one we should obey. So what does that mean in terms of our sexuality? What does that mean for uh, our sexual practice as followers of Jesus Christ? We should always, as, as Jesus' disciples, as Jesus' followers, ask the question, how shall I live, Lord? How shall I be, Lord? How shall I uh, live in this world to your glory, to your honor, to your praise? So uh, how's the world doing these days uh, in regard to sex and sexuality? Uh, you look around and, and uh, certainly you've got to understand that we've gone through uh, in this country what some have called, and I don't know the full understanding of it, a sexual revolution. A sexual revolution. Uh, it used to be that uh, uh, in former generations, for, for much of our, our country's history, that uh, this issue of sex and sexuality wasn't really asked, wasn't really talked about. It was rather uh, assumed in many ways. Uh, we would look to uh, other than ourselves, we'd look to outside authorities to tell us how we should live or how we should be, who we are as people, as men and women. Uh, we'd look to God. God, how shall I live in this way? Uh, who am I? We, we look to the Bible, depending on your tradition. Or your, or, or you look to your church. Uh, what, what does the church say about this way of living or this way of being? Or how shall I practice sex? Some would even look to their family and ask, parents, imagine that. Uh, how, how shall I be? How, what, what, is, what is right? What is wrong? What is holy? What is true? What is false? And what is fallen? Uh, but that's changed. I, I hope you understand that. That uh, even there, there used to be a time in, in America where we looked to the outside. We looked somewhere outside of ourselves. And, and what, what, what does God say? What, what, is, what does the Word of God say about how I should live? Um, but no more. I, I hope you're understanding the, the current way of thinking, the current way of processing life or about how to live life. It, it's, it's no longer, especially in regards to sex and sexuality, it's no longer out there somebody telling me or a tradition imposing its will upon me or God telling me because that's all passe, that's all past tense for much of our culture today. 
the, the way to find how to live is by looking in yourself. Uh, and, and it sounds strange to our ears, but if you start watching, uh, start watching advertisements, you start watching movies, you start reading books on the subject and the matter, it, it's all tied to, uh, if I'm going to be true to myself, I, I have to look inside, what are my desires? What, what's, what's my, what, what am I feeling on these things? Uh, and boy, heaven forbid, if you believe in a heaven anymore, heaven forbid that you'd be false to yourself. The authentic self, the real self, is about being true to who you are on the inside. You've got to look at the self and let the self tell you how you should live. And so if you have desires, it would be inauthentic. It would be wrong to not live out those desires as you feel, as you are. And so that's how it's played out. People are no longer saying, Hey, what does the church say? What, what, what do the pastors say about what's right and wrong in sex? What would the, what would the Bible say about God? What would God say about proper behavior, relational connections, intimacy, sexual practice? It's what I say matters. Uh, and this, this is, uh, it, it's, it, it's real. It's not something that was, I remember when I was in uh, college so many years ago, it was theoretical, like we're moving to this place where everything's on the inside, everything's what you determine. The, the, you, you've seen it, the breakdown of institutions. Institutions can't tell anybody what to do anymore. The government, who, who trusts in the government? Who's led by the government now? All the institutions that were so much of an authority, it's, it's this whole mindset of, I'm the determiner of my fate. I'm the one who decides how to be, how to live. And I'm going to be true to myself, even if no one else agrees with me. Uh, and so, uh, just as an illustration uh, of this, I was reading a book the other day by Carl Truman, and, and uh, he, it's a strange new world, what it, what it is. And, and he, he was talking about the massive changes, the phenomena of sexuality, the phenomena of sexual practices, that are what used to be so um, secretive, what used to be shameful, what used to be guilt-ridden is now normalized in so many ways. Uh, he, he used the illustration uh, of, man, if, if, if anybody said to my grandfather, uh, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body and I, I need to get out, my grandfather, he said, would have said, that's nonsense. There used to be a time along those same lines where if, if you made that statement to somebody in the medical community or a psychiatrist, uh, they, would, they, would, they would think of it, about it as a psychiatric issue that there's a problem there, there's a mental illness there going on. But now, when someone says, man, I've looked on the inside and this is who I really am and I'm going to transition, I'm going to change my body to fit, you know, my, my, my assigned gender is not who I am. I'm going to become who I truly am. What happens now? Is it a shameful thing? Is it, a, is it, is it something that people look down upon? No, it's, yeah, you're true to yourself. Way to go. Be all you can be as you see fit. But we come today as Christians, as we come today as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of our Lord, and we ask, how shall we live, Lord? How shall we be, Lord? Because you are the everlasting God. From age to age, you never change. From age to age, you are the creator, the maker, our Lord.
So we, we start this sermon series today, and today I, I want to just look at, it's, it's uh, so much to talk about, it's, but just in a narrow focus, why did God make sex? Why, why did he make sex? What, what, what's it for? I mean, we, we start there with, with this, this understanding, a worldview, a way of thinking that this is God's world. We are God's creatures. We are God's beings. How has he designed us? How has he made us? What did he make sex for? What is our sexuality as he's designed it? And if we come to understanding of these things, it leads into, well, how shall we live? How shall we be sexually? How shall we practice living life in his presence? So with that, please open your Bibles to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What did God make sex for? This gift of sex, this gift of sexuality, what, what did he intend for it and for us and how to live? Uh, Genesis 1, verse 26, please. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, do, we come to this subject and uh, we, we, we humbly ask for your wisdom, your, your word to be known and heard and understood. Lord, uh, we're treading in deep waters in, in many centuries of, of, of um, worldview changes and shifts and ideologies and ways of thinking. And we ask that you'd uh, let us hear your word and in, in all the different ways that you want to speak to us and, and instruct us and teach us. Lord, uh, bless this sermon and, and bless, the, bless, bless us, Lord, with knowing how to live in your world according to your ways, to your glory, to your honor, to your praise. Amen. Verse 26, please. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Pause there, please. So day, day six comes after a, a, a wonderful uh, summary of creation and all the different uh, heavens and earth, the light and the dark, the, the land and the sea, all the different binaries, all the different, the, the, the complementary two parts uh, that we see again and again in Genesis 1. It comes down to male and female. Uh, a wonderful, glorious creation. Uh, let us make mankind, male and female, in our image, in our likeness. Uh, we, this is an incredible statement about our worth and our value and our importance in, in, in the world. Uh, the, the idea that we, as people, compared to all other fauna and flora, all the other animals, all the other plants, all the earth, only mankind, only you have been made in the image of God. Which is a, a you start looking into that, it's, it's like, wow. That somehow we reflect the, the divine. And who is God? The infinite God. The eternal God. The glorious God. Uh, we somehow are designed, made, 
purposed to image Him and reflect Him. Now, God is neither male nor female. And yet, He's made us each female male to reflect Him to His praise. To his, and and what, what's going on here? Well, I, I can't step away from the depth of this very quickly because um, you, when you hold a baby in your, in your arms, the apex of creation... No other animal made in the image of God. No other created living thing made in the image of God. I don't know if God's made other creatures out there in some other galaxy somewhere in His image. He hasn't revealed that to us. But upon the earth, upon all the creation that we see, this little baby, the highest thing that's ever been made. Because only babies, only you, Reflect God. There's something about you, maybe your characteristics, your attributes, your capacity to love, your capacity to relate, your capacity to know and hear God, to show the cosmos what God's like. Stunning. The value and worth of humanity. But we get into the text a little bit more, and, and uh, God gives humanity purpose to have dominion to subdue, and, and we, we've obviously seen that's been done wrong, but uh, in many ways, the earth's been misused, the earth's been hurt in many ways, I guess you could say, greedily grasped the elements of the earth for our own ends and our own purposes, but that's not God's created intent. He's made us to have dominion in terms of uh, this idea of an image. In, in ancient times, the idea was, uh, and we even see it today, is, is politicians make posters to show their image. Like, uh, okay, I can't be in that place, in that city. I can't be in that province. So I'm going to put my, a poster up there so they'll have a, a reflection of me. Or in ancient times, even today, people making statues of themselves because they can't be there. God has made us as his little images throughout the earth. And he, he wants us to be multiplied, to, to spread his image around the created earth, every place. Uh, to, to do what? Well, to have dominion, uh, kind of be vice regents, to, to steward the earth. This idea, it, it, we, we read it sometimes with greedy eyes, or we read it with, sometimes with selfish eyes. How can I get this piece of property and use it for my ends? But no, that's, that's not the idea. Or how can I use these animals for my ends only? The idea of God originally was to take creation and to steward it for God's glory. To take creation and bring it to its potential. We take a, a field. It's full of potential. Can we bring crops out of that field that are maximized, that get better and better and better? To subdue, it's not a negative term. It's a creative term. It's a, it's a powerful term. To subdue means to bring out the best in it, to bring out its potential. And so even in marriage, we subdue one another. We bring out, make each other better in marriage. We bring out the best in one another. That's our calling. To have dominion, to subdue, uh, to what end? That God would be glorified. But we see here this, uh, this uh, interesting thing is, well, how, how's, how's that come about? Like, the, the vision is to bring the, the creation to its potential, to its greatness, to its glory, for God to be glorified, for God to be praised, for God to be worshipped. But how do you get there? Well, you have to have sex. You're going to have a bunch of little babies, you have to have sex. 
And so whatever we think about sex, maybe you grew up in a home where, you, where it wasn't talked about, where you tipped out in eggshells like you couldn't talk about it with your parents or something because maybe they thought it was dirty, maybe they thought it was wrong, maybe, maybe you just don't want to talk about it kind of thing. No, no, no. God's made sex. God's designed us as sexual beings. He's made this complementary people, male and female, to fit like puzzle pieces the, the, the coitus, the, 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 the sexual act, the coming together is, is a glorious, wonderful, created act that God has made to bring forth life, to make little images, to make people all around the world that would do His bidding, that would honor Him and praise Him and, and glorify Him. It's an amazing thing. Be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Uh, this, this, this movement forward, it's all God's design. We, we don't look upon sex or sexuality as bad or wrong or, or screwed up or, or just something that we, this necessary evil kind of a thing. It's a gift. It's a gift to fulfill God's plan. It's, it's a calling, even, to fulfill God's plan. Uh, the first purpose, why, why did God make, make sex? Uh, we have to start with creation. To create life. The, the formal term, procreation. Maybe your parents use that. Well, you're going to procreate one day. <sighs> kind of deal. No, it's, it's not like that. There's something that's deeper than in our, in our common world today where sex is thrown around in cheap, in cheap ways or, or just even fallen ways, this sexual act is almost miraculous in what it brings about. A creation of life. It's an incredible gift. Uh, the first purpose of why God made sex was to have babies. And babies lead to uh, changes in the world. Babies lead to blessings. Babies are blessings that lead to God being glorified. The little kids that are raised in your house right now, God has purposes and plans for them. His glorious and wonderful plans. This, uh, this, this, this concept of, of sex is, uh, again, we, we put it into certain boxes or certain contexts. We have to keep it within God's great plan. God made this world on purpose, this eternal uh, world that He started, and it's going to last now forever. Uh, sex has a place in that, and so it's holy, and it's good. But the first purpose is to create babies. But more than that, look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse uh, 15. Let's start there. The Lord, took God, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat out of every tree of the garden, <laughs> uh, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you should not eat it, for in that day you, that you eat of it you should surely die. So again, uh, we, we have this, this concept in our world today that, uh, that we are autonomous, that we are the champions of our fate, we're the, we're the sole determiners of things. And yet we, we see even in Genesis that no, we are created beings. 
We come under the reign of God, and even if we don't acknowledge it or don't admit it, we're creatures in a created world uh, made by a creator. God took the man, put him in the garden. It's all, it's all God's initiative. Um, the Lord God commanded the man, it says. Uh, God gave him vocation. God gave him calling, back to Genesis 1, to God's glory. Uh, this, this concept that I decide what sex is or I decide what sexuality is is just monstrous and broken. And it can be such an evil thing. Uh, verse 18, Then the God the gods said, it's, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Not out of the, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and, and brought them to the man to see that he would, what we'd call them. Whenever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there is not found a helper fit for him. <laughs> What's going on there? Why, why did God do that? But you, you see, again, God took the initiative. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Fascinating statement. Adam is in the presence of the infinite God. The Almighty God, he's, he's in relationship with God. Is he lacking? He's in paradise before sin came. Is he lacking anything? Uh, he, he could not say, I'm lacking anything, but God said it's not good for him to be alone. So God takes it. So we're, 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 looking, we're focused in chapter 2 is focused on the sixth day. It's like a narrowing of the, uh, the second creation account. It's, it's tied to the first one, but it's looking closely like, how did God make people? And what did he make them for? And initially, the big thing here is uh, God uh, says that man, that women and men in the big picture are not meant to be alone. Um, so God uh, wants to make the man aware of this. And so he gives him uh, this, uh, this, this uh, uh, unaware, uh, unawareness program, as it were. Maybe Adam is just comfortable being by himself and he's living life and, and uh, you know, day six, it, it seems like in one sense it's one day, but in another sense it, it goes on for a very long time. That's a whole other debate or sermon we could talk about. But he's living life and he, he doesn't aware, he's not aware of his need yet. And so God, uh, R. Kent Hughes says, God gives him an awareness program. He starts by, the reason for the naming of the animals is, look, they're binary, they're couples, as it were. That, that group of animals has, has a place together. That group of animals has a place. And you name them and you call them what they are. But it's this idea that there's couples out there. There's, a, there's coupled species out there and I'm alone. It's a setup for uh, what comes next. So verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Again, God's, everything here is God's initiative. God created us. God made us. God took the, in, in, in chapter 2, everything God is doing. Whatever's coming about, it's, it's by God's purpose and God's plan. And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of the man, he made into woman and brought her to man. So even today we ask, does man have one less rib than women? And the answer is no. <laughs> then the man said, this is the last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Uh, so there's this, the, you know, the, the, there's a sleep, he's, he's put under, anesthetized, he's, he's, uh, he wakes up and suddenly there's a woman there. 
And there's this rejoicing, this celebratory rejoicing. Yeah! Woo! Because, you know, that, that whole season, however long that went on, on day six of naming the animals, is probably getting heavier and heavier. It's probably getting like, oh, I am alone. Even though I've got Yahweh, I've got the Lord. I, I, I am alone. And, and so when he wakes up and there's, there's Eve, he, he names her Eve. It's like, yeah. Interesting, in our culture today, we, we, we say uh, about our family, that's my blood. And our slang, you know, hey, we're blood, we're blood brothers or whatever. When the Hebrew slang, it's, hey, that's my bone, bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh, it's the same kind of metaphor, the same kind of thinking. But we're, we're one, we're, we're of the same being, we're the same family as it were, under God. And so it's a great moment. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Uh, this is the first wedding ceremony shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want to start with verse 25 first. Imagine a time where you felt no guilt. Imagine a time where you felt no shame, where you were free before God. Like, like, and with God, imagine a time where you didn't have to do devotions. You didn't have to be intentional about spending time with God or being close to God. Adam and Eve had that. But within... With, from, from, their, from their own perspective, man, they could live life free and open with one another. You, you know, for that to happen, you know, people, we cover up from one another both with clothes and, and with emotions. We shut each other off from one another. We don't tell each other our heart or who we are because we're afraid of rejection. If she saw who I was, she wouldn't stay with me. Or if he saw who I was, she, you know, he wouldn't love me kind of a thing. But outside, that, that's, that's the concept of sin. That's, that's the product of sin. Is suddenly we realize evil and we act in evil, evil ways. And why do we hide? Why do we, why do we live such uh, covered lives? Is because we don't want to be found out or we don't want to be rejected. But what a beautiful place to be. Husband and wife, one. Total acceptance. Total, total trust. Total, uh, I am for you always. Kind of a picture. Uh, marriage is an incredible thing. Uh, I want to add to that idea of sex was made for procreation. Sex was made for having babies to the glory of God and, and all that entails. But sex was made for marriage. And we kind of, we kind of snicker at that. Or maybe you, you, you're snickering at that right now. Or you're, you're thinking about that and, well, yeah, whatever. I think in our culture, with all we've been through, through the sexual revolution and all, all the changes of our culture and the pain that we've caused one another, is we've dumbed down this concept of marriage. We're in God's economy. Because at the end of the age, there's going to be a marriage. At the end of the age, when God's eternal kingdom comes, He describes that as a marriage of His church and His Christ. And, and from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible... God, whatever you think of marriage, or however you place marriage in a certain box or a certain ideal of marriage, or maybe your marriage isn't what you wanted it to be, or, or, or maybe you're not married yet and you have an ideal, yeah, keep the ideal of it being something incredible. Now, of course, you, you realize you're marrying somebody who isn't perfect, and you're not perfect, so there's always going to be, in this age, 
brokenness and, and pain and, and trial in the midst of the joy, in the midst of the, of the, the blessings. But originally, man, the way, the way this, this marriage was, God envisioned it, or God, God talked about it, or He pointed it out. It was like a day six, the highest concept of creation, and day six was a marriage. We as a church want to keep that in mind. At Living Water, uh, I think our vision for the future is we want to see great marriages come about. We want to see thriving families. We want to see people living to the fullness of God's plan. Singles, marrieds, children walking in God's way according to God's purposes and plans. But here we have uh, this, this wedding and and uh, if you talk about the purpose of sex babies, the purpose of sex uh, is to bond husband and wife. Purpose of sex, God's in God's economy and God's plan and purpose. He made marriage sacred, so he made sex sacred. Uh, this, there, is, there is kind of a flow to this. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother. Uh, we need to talk about that. Uh, interesting in the culture of the day, before Moses, uh, before Abraham, after Abraham, before Mo uh, Moses, after Moses, even in Jesus' day, the man did not leave his father and mother. The tradition, the culture was the woman would leave her home of origin and join the man's family. And so it's, it seems rather strange, and, and scholars have looked at this, and they've, they've looked at it, and it's, it's out of place, like a man shall leave his father and mother? What's going on here? Because it was the woman who would leave the home to join the husband's family. Uh, but what it's saying is to, to, to have a healthy marriage, to, to be this one, there, there is an intellectual leaving. There, there, there is this sense of uh, my primary loyalty is no longer to mother and father. My primary loyalty in marriage is no longer to my family of origin. My primary loyalty is to be with my spouse now even if I'm in the same business as my spouse, even if we're living as they did in the old times in the same multi-generational home. My loyalty is... And so to have a healthy marriage, and, and I, just as we're in this passage, I have to talk about it, there, there needs to be this sense of, of, of almost uh, like you're going to honor father and mother always. You're gonna be a, they're going to be a part of your life, hopefully in a, in a healthy way, because you're a healthy family. But the spouse always comes first in your marriage. And if it doesn't, uh, you're headed for trouble. So there's a leaving, and then there's this weaving idea. It's not in the ESV. I think another translation brought it out. Um, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This uh, holding fast, it can be tied to the cleaving, uh, but this weaving is, is you, you enter into this, this marriage, and and it might, you know, you start with the, the, before the marriage, the engagement, the, the romance. You're, you're learning how to live in rhythms together. You're learning how to be one. And then even in the first few years of marriage, you're learning how to be that one with that other person. And it's, it's, a, it's a cultural change, two homes of origin. They do things that way, they do things that way. But coming together, we're making our own family now. It's hard work. It's hard work, and the kids got to participate in it. The kids got to be a part of it. If you say blended families or, or different things like that, you're coming together and you're making your family under God. But, but when, when sex comes in, uh, this idea, they shall become one flesh. Do you realize when, uh, when okay, so we have the wedding ceremony. What is the wedding ceremony? 
The wedding ceremony is the place where we make promises about the future, vows. You know, sometimes people make their own vows to one another. You know, I'm promising you, but a Christian wedding is before God. We're making promises to God about future love. Uh, uh, you know, like Jeron, you know, he might, uh, all kinds of things might happen to his body. All things, things might happen to his mind. But when Elizabeth marries Jeron, she's making vows. 30 years from now, I promise to love you still before God. God, I vow that, that this man you've given me, I'm going to love him, not just emotions and feelings, but I'm going to choose to serve him in love because he's my spouse under you. You've given me this man. And so marriage in our culture today, it's like, I'm going to love you till I don't feel like it anymore. It's fallen and broken. And if you're thinking about marriage that way today, change your attitude if you're a Christian and come under this, this idea of marriage that you're giving yourself in this idea. So the marriage ceremony, vows of a future love, vows of promises of the future, I'm with you no matter what, even if I don't feel it anymore. And let God take care of the feelings later. But, but what happens on the marriage day is consummated sexually. Uh, again, we, we've, we've dumbed down marriage. We've made it such a, it's a, such a, a cultural thing or just a societal thing that some people do and some people don't. But in God's way of thinking about it, when he brings two people together, this, this uh, sexual union, it, it glues them together. It makes them one. If you've been sexually active before you got married, uh, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've maybe, uh, you know, in colloquialism, colloquial terms, slept around or, or been uh, immoral or you've gone here or that, uh, there's, there is a way that that is hurting you. I don't know if you understand that or not. Because the physiology that God has given us, there's something mysterious and incredible about sex that when two people come together, God has made it so that you're bonded with that person. And so uh, we don't have time to go into it today, but uh, you, you can write down 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. When you uh, sleep with somebody, you're made one with that person. Now, we can't, we can't describe it technically or scientifically, uh, maybe somebody will study the brain one day and the endorphins or the hormones or the, all the different things going on there. They can see it. But you, are, you become one with that person. Um, sex is to make you one because marriage is important to God. He's designed marriage to be something that points ultimately to His purposes in this world. The highest metaphor, as it were, to describe our relationship with God is marriage. God, marriage matters because marriage creates a culture. Marriage creates a, 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 a world. It, it launches out little images. And the, where are those little images learning about life and learning about God and learning about the future and learning about hope from their family of origin? The family of origin is huge. All these things matter to God. He's created, the, he's created this, this imagery, this idea, this, this, this relationship. Now, we're going to talk in a later sermon about uh, what it means to be single and that you're complete as a single person until you get married. You're full as a single person until you arrive at marriage. Then there's something new. But God has created marriage for His glory. And so to make marriages healthy, He's created sex as a pleasurable thing. Sex is an enjoyable thing. You can write down Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. You can write down uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 3 through 17. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 17. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, 
verses, uh, I, think, uh, I think, one through four. You can read the whole chapter. Chapter four, Song of Solomon. He's made it pleasurable because he wants this union to be successful. He wants this union to be powerful. He's, he, when he looks at a married couple, they've made those vows. The consummation of that connection comes sexually. It's so much more powerful than you can imagine. And so if we misuse sex or if we misuse our sexuality, God intentionally designed you. If you're a male, he's giving you that gender. He's made you that way on purpose. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Made for his, his glory. You are a workmanship of God. You are a workmanship in his, his mind. He's made you to a certain end and certain certain way to be. Um, so we could, as it were, take on the thinking of the world and say, well, it's just sex. It's just a bodily function. It's just something that feels good in the short term. It doesn't really matter that much. Just from these few ideas, like it's for the creation of life. It's for bringing people together in a powerfully, powerful, lasting way so that out of that union, life can go forth and families can go forth and the generations can be made to be what God wants them to be made so that the world is changed, so that God brings the world to His appointed end so that He gets praised, so that He gets worshipped, so He gets honored. Don't ever, please don't ever look at sex as something that is cheap, or easy, or without consequence. It's massively important. God has made it. Let's honor it. Let's use it as He intended. And isn't it interesting, like, uh, I, 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 I bought a barbecue grill the other day because uh, ours died. And wouldn't it be crazy for me, because I'm not mechanical, I, I, you know, what if I took the directions and I said, I don't need those. I can figure it out myself. It might not do very well. When we think about sex and sexuality, hasn't the Creator made us according to His plans and His purposes? And would it be wise for us to say, well, God, You say what it should be, and You say how it should go, and, and You say what it's be the context within which it's supposed to be used. <laughs> but I don't need any of that. I'm just going to make it up as I go along. Whatever I feel should be how I, I am. And there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. May we be a people who in this way, <laughs> whether it's whether it's with relationships or money or vocation or anything, may we be people who are doing the will of God because we trust that the Creator knows best and that we trust that the Creator loves us and wants us to fulfill His purposes and that we would be better off if we did. Yes, we will continue next week on this matter of sex and sexuality. Um, please send me emails. Please send me texts if you have questions, if you have things that you want me to cover or talk about. 
But next week we'll get into this whole thing. Really just for marriage? Please stand in the Lord's presence. Oh God, how we love you. Oh, our Creator, we, we're, we're just amazed that you create us, that, that you, you made us. What power you must have, what, what wisdom you must have, what, 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 uh, what perspective you must have to make all these systems in our body work well, so well together, all, all these processes that go on, uh, we don't even realize, our heartbeat every second, all, all, the, all the cells that are being created and destroyed right now, and about everything that comes together, you've made it and you keep it running. Forgive us, Lord when we say we know better. Forgive us, Lord, when we say we know how to live. Or forgive us, Lord, when we walk down paths that you said not to, thinking that uh, you don't love us or you don't care for us or you don't have our best in mind. Give us the grace, Lord, to be wise. I guess give us the wisdom to, to be wise, to, that we would do your will. That we'd see it as good. That we'd uh, use the gifts you've given us We'd steward them well. We, we'd, we'd use the things that you've given us, get the life you've given us, that we walk in your ways and obey you, even in this matter of sexuality. And may you get worshipped. and may, may, you, may you feel our, our love and, and as we obey, as we trust you. May, may it please you, Lord. And may, uh, as we walk in your ways, may all your promises come true in our lives and May your, your, your ways uh, change us, Lord, and, and bring about the blessings and the, the life that you want us to have. It's good. We love you. Send us out now. Thank you for letting us meet with you today, Lord. Thank you for letting us come into your presence and worship you. Pray that uh, we would continue to walk with you this week and you'd be glorified. Send us out now to the world as your images, as your representatives, and may uh, we point to you and show the world what you're like and who you are. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now, he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.